Hi everyone, and welcome to the ADSR Inspirations Podcast. My name is James Mallion. I'm your host as I introduce you to inspirational and artful souls from all over the world. I'm deeply interested in music, film, the arts, achieving goals, overcoming struggles, and big ideas. So join me as we uncover some life lessons and knowledge. We're based out of Tokyo, Japan, and we'll be speaking with people from all over the world, ranging from artists, musicians, creatives, leaders, big thinkers, and those who strive to do and be great. Thanks for listening along. Now let's get inspired. Today's guest is James Ketchpole, aka Mr. OK Jazz. Originally from New York City, James has spent the last 20 years plus as a resident of Japan. James is a podcaster, a radio host, a DJ, a writer, a blogger, and more. For almost 14 years now, James has run the amazing Tokyo Jazz site, which documents and records information on hundreds of jazz related establishments. In the greater Tokyo metropolitan area. James and his site have been featured in Japan and internationally in magazines, radio, TV shows, websites, and more. In addition, James has personally met and interviewed hundreds of jazz musicians throughout the years. He's hosted music related radio shows and podcasts, as well as collaborated on an ongoing photo project, Tokyo Jazz Joints. Which aims to visually capture the hidden, slowly dying world of old jazz spots throughout Japan. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to ADSR Inspirations. And I'm super excited today by our guest.、Uh, I've been following his work and his projects basically since I came to Japan about 10 years ago. And it's been a good while since、uh, we've been able to sit down and have a chat. So, Please welcome to the show Mr. OK Jazz, James Ketchpole. So, thanks for being here, man. Hi, James. It's,、uh, it's good to catch up with you. It's been a while. Yeah, for sure. So,、uh, let's just dive into it here.、Uh, and I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but I got to start out with this.、Um, why jazz? You know, I mean, I get it. I love jazz myself for many reasons. And I just want to. Hear it from you. What is it really about jazz music that gravitates with you? And how long has this passion about jazz existed? Wow. Okay. I'll start with the second part of that question because it's sure, easier. Sure.、Um, yeah. How long? I mean, it was pretty much since I was、um, a freshman in college. So、mm-hmm. going back almost 30 years now.、Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I grew up, I was a, I was a hip hop kid. You know, I grew up in New York. And in, in the late 80s, you know, so hip hop was everywhere. And then I was really into, you know, classic rock as well, classic rock radio in the States,、um, all around North America, you know, that's like standard when you're driving around. So, you know, it's kind of those two sort of strands. And then,、um, and then slowly I started getting into more, you know, like soul and funk. And I kind of went backwards. And then when I was,、uh, when I was in college, I remember a, an upperclassman. Um, hanging out one day, and he put on、uh, a Cannibal Adderley record. And,、uh, and it was sort of like, it just like transported me into the club. You know, it was like a live album. And I was like, I'd never heard anything so energetic, so soulful, so swinging, you know? And、um, yeah, I was, just, I was just completely gone. And I started buying,、um, well, in those days, you know, it was really CDs. A lot of the jazz albums were being reissued on CDs、uh, from all the big labels. So I started buying、um, pretty much only jazz. 
CDs and records uh, from then, and and it just became a, a a really big passion, and it's just been there for thirty years. I mean, I listen to all kinds of music, and on my own radio shows and podcasts, I play a lot of different things. But I would say more than half of my collection are, are, are jazz albums. And why why do I love it? I mean, jazz is just um, it's such a well, you know. There, there's been a lot of debate about the word itself. And, and, and that jazz is, a, is a, a term that the musicians themselves don't like to use. In fact, they, they feel it was imposed on them. So, And I really respect that. Um, I use it myself here in Japan because um, in Japan, that's how it's really known and identified. Um, I think musicians themselves often, these days, the term would be black American music, which is a much broader and much more accurate term uh, because it is black American music. And black American music in all forms, uh, whether it's jazz, gospel, blues, up to R&B and hip hop, really is all one family. Um, but I think, you know, it, it, when you're around the world, uh, that term doesn't really make a lot of sense. So, you know, we use jazz here in Japan. Um, but, yeah, it's just the freedom. It's the freedom, the joy, um, the the swing, <laughs> the swinging vibes. Yeah, I love all of it. And I love all the different genres, too, you know, because, I mean, you can play Duke Ellington record and then you can play like um, a heavy Miles Davis fusion album. And, and, and you can hear the lineage, even though the music doesn't sound anything really similar at all. Uh, but it all comes from the same foundation. For sure. Great. Yeah, that was a. Uh pretty in-depth answer and I think yeah you really explained yourself well with that one um did you so I was I'm wondering like did you grow up in a really like musical environment um uh basically did you have some uh big influences growing up that kind of led you into the music thing or yeah I mean I grew up you know uh my, my parents weren't really big music people I mean, mm. they were, you know, of the times, they, they had, like, famous albums. You know, they would have, um, they had the Beatles and some Motown records, you know, but they, they weren't really um, big collectors or big fans. Uh, for me, it was radio. Um, you know, growing up at that time, the early 80s, in New York, in New York City, I mean, radio was really important. I mean, that was where you got... A lot of the information you know it was really the beginning days of cable tv so like i didn't we didn't have mtv until much later and you know radio djs were like stars you know they were like real celebrities and um and so they sort of like dictated the, the styles and the trends and i remember as a little kid i mean i always loved listening to to the radio in new york all different kinds of stations you know I used to listen to frankie crocker play soul music or used to listen to um k-rock which played like classic rock and and um and so growing up, and then also, you know, in New York, um, because it's so diverse, you know, you get a lot of different types of music that you hear everywhere. You know, there were people on my block playing salsa, you know, so I had, you know, had all the, you know, in the summertime, that's the, that's the soundtrack of New York City, you know what I mean? When you walk on the streets, you're going to hear salsa a lot, you know? So I used to hear that. Um, my friends and I would pick up mixtapes. You know, uh, guys selling mixtapes mix in front of the subway station. It's a real old New York thing, you know. Nobody does that anymore. You just do it online. But, um, yeah, so music was kind of everywhere, you know. Um, and I was always, yeah, I, I would say pr probably from the time I was like five or six, uh, I was really into it a lot more than, than maybe other people in my family were. Um, the second thing was that, you know, my family, uh, half my family come from, from the Caribbean. And so they had a little bit of a different thing going on. You know, they had music coming from the islands. And so um, maybe in those days, there weren't as many 
uh, people. I mean, there were there were there were you know some Jamaican neighborhood, there were some Haitian neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Um, there's much more now due to more immigration, but in those days it wasn't quite as common. But I used to hear like the albums that my family would bring from Trinidad, you know, uh, Calypso and stuff like that. And, right, uh, right, so right. So it was kind of like all mixed together, you know. Right, right. So right in the beginning, yeah, from my in my head, like it was all like, I, I dig all of this stuff, mm. you know, well, except for country music. <laughs> my dad used to play that. I didn't dig that. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I know for myself, I'm not sure in terms of uh, if there's like plenty of jazz or like solely like jazz radio stations. Um, for myself growing up outside of Toronto, there's a station like Jazz 91 and it's a listener supported jazz station. And mm-hmm. just kind of coming up, um, I would I would always just turn that one on. And then um, that was kind of one of my first big introductions into jazz music because um, Probably my family was similar to yours. You know, they had, you know, we had a record player and all the kind of classic records that you'd expect, you know, Michael Jackson, Beatles and whatnot. But um, so would you say there's like a certain radio station or are there some like popular jazz stations coming out of New York or? Oh, yeah. Well, there's there's really famous ones. I mean, probably the most famous one is, uh, well, there's a couple. there's There's a college radio station coming out of Columbia, and then there's also um, WBGO out of Newark, mm-hmm. New Jersey, which is right across the river from, from New York City. That's probably the most famous jazz station. We're still going today because, you know, a lot of radio, radio's kind of changed and trying to transform itself in the new environment, and a lot of stations didn't make it or they got bought up by, you know, these kind of big corporate um, broadcasting companies. But I, I would say those two. And then, actually, even more than that, though, when I was in... Um, it was just one of the summers that I was in college. Um, my family had kind of split. They left New York, and I was at my sister's place in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. for a summer. This would have been in the early 90s, and I was listening to, there's a station down there called WPFW, mm-hmm. and uh, a guy named Jamal Muhammad had this Saturday night show, like three hours, you know, where he would play jazz, and he would talk over the records, and he had that old-style kind of, um, you know that real old style like DJ kind of thing. He'd be like, "Yeah, swing baby, yeah." You know, he'd be talking <laughs> yeah. over music, you know, and yeah. he'd get you really yeah. hyped up, you know. Sure. Yeah. And um, amazingly, so I was spending the summer there, and I, I went to get a part time job at Tower Records. Yeah. And it's Jamal Muhammad who's running the jazz department. <laughs> so I was <laughs> like, "Man, I listen to you every week," you know. And he was he was like, uh, you know, one of those kind of old like guys you know really kind of cranky and he was like oh you listen to jazz oh you're not one of those hip-hop kids right (laughs) he hated hated rap music um but he was like a guy that that really taught me because i would have been what 19 i guess you know 20 and he was like okay i'm gonna start you you know from the beginning so working with him and then listening to his show was like i mean one of the biggest influences for me sure um so maybe more like uh, di- I was gonna ask, like, did you have some kind of mentors or uh, directions that kind of led you into thinking, you know, maybe I want to try radio myself? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd always wanted to, and then in college, like, we had a little, you know, I went to a small liberal arts college, so we didn't have a big, we had a tiny little room, you know, where we could just listen on campus. So my friends and I, we used to do that. We used to make programs there and just sure, sure, sure. around a bit, and then. Um, then when I came to Japan, yeah, I would say so. Like in America, it was Jamal Muhammad who really 
inspired me and taught me so much. And then when I came to Japan, I, I was uh, immediately started listening to Peter Barakat's show. Um, your listeners here in Japan are going to know who he is, but for people outside Japan, um, Peter is from the UK, but he's been in Japan for almost 50 years, and he's a very famous broadcaster. He broadcasts in both English and Japanese. and So I, I caught his show um, pretty much right when I got here. And in and, and those days, he had an English language show. So I was like, well, who is this guy broadcasting in English? And he's playing like really cool tunes, you know? So he his show, because his show was very broad in, in all the kinds of styles that he would feature. And that's how I started getting into what we call, what's called world music. Mm. World music is kind of a marketing term, but, you know, basically local music from around the world. Right, uh, right. So that's how I got into that sort of thing, getting outside the U.S., right. uh, which was through his show. And then I also started listening to a guy, um, uh, any British people listening who are music fans will know, Charlie Gillett, who used to be on the BBC. Sadly, he passed away, but Charlie Gillett had a, had a program, um, basically a world music program, and he put out these compilations every year. He put out these two CD compilations every year with like 30 tracks on it from all the recent releases around the globe. And, and that was amazing. I mean, that, I loved that guy's show so much. So yeah, there were a couple, there were a couple different sort of inspirations that, that came in. And then, um, yeah, eventually, you know, when, um, when everything started going online, you know, I, I started my website and then eventually I started, uh, I started a, uh, a, a night, a weekly show on inter FM here in Tokyo because I had I had met up with Peter and, and, and I you know he was planning some of the, the programs at that point. It was about seven years, eight years ago. So that was when I started on the radio here in Japan. Right, right. Yeah, you had uh, you mentioned, you know, BBC. I was more uh, kind of coming up university, college and uh, you know, the internet was developing so i was kind of tuning into some of those bbc shows mm. um i was more into like electronic music at the time so there was you know the essential mix and mm -hmm. uh you know mixing bowl and uh blue room um all, all this kind of stuff uh, i was tuning into and then with the world music thing i think maybe one of my big influences there was probably giles peterson right um, oh sure yeah I've, definitely I'm sure he's kind of influenced a lot of people throughout the years. Oh yeah, and... yeah, because he 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 was uh, well. I mean, he was doing it since he was like a teenager, right? And uh, <laughs> and then, but yeah, you know what you said is really important because once that stuff started going online, right? And you could you could kind of tune in, and sometimes it was really choppy. You'd take forever to download. You know, you remember those days, right? But um, yeah, you know, you could start to get those programs from the UK, or I remember even listening to some shows um, when I started getting into African music. Um, and I noticed that a lot of the labels were coming from, you know, from Paris or Brussels, from the Francophone countries. Well, I don't speak French, but I would tune into some of these French radio shows, you know, these, so they were these like, you know, guys from Senegal or Congo, uh, who had migrated to, to Paris or Brussels and they were, they were playing, you know, local music from their countries. I don't know what they were talking about, right? But I was digging the tunes. I was listening. <laughs> I was listening on the internet, and that was yeah. That that was awesome. I mean, that was, that was it was really great, you know, because it, it was the kind of access that you just normally wouldn't it wouldn't have. It would take forever to find this stuff, you know. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so right, you mentioned you know going through a bit of your history. You said you mentioned you started the Tokyo Jazz site around uh, 2007, I believe it was. That's right. Yes. And then. Um, yeah, I mean, for myself, you know, I came to Japan around late 2009 and I stumbled across that site um, almost immediately. 
since I was here. Um, I was wondering about that. You know, it's it's a really comprehensive site, and I know you've you've kind of listed you know what inspired you to do it before. Um, do you do you think? that um, something similar exists, maybe in Japanese, or have you seen such such a site like in other countries? Like I've never really encountered something so um, kind of in depth and so detailed um, mm. as, as your Tokyo jazz site. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, start with the Japanese. There's a lo- there are a lot of Japanese jazz fans who um, write about and document uh, where they go around the country. Um, there's one guy in particular. So if, if people who are listening, who can read Japanese, I would highly recommend you check it out. It's called jazzkisa.jp. Kisa means, uh, jazz, kisaten, jazz cafe, right? K-I-S-S-A, uh, dot J-P. And that guy has been everywhere, but a little bit of a different focus. He's, he's more, he's more into audio. So there's a lot of pictures of like audio equipment. Um, but, but you've got all the, the, the cafe and jazz bar information there, but you know, my, my site, yeah, was really, I mean, basically it was born because I was going around to all these jazz cafes around Tokyo, the Tokyo metro area. And, and I fell in love with them because, you know, it's, uh, as you know, I mean, it's, it's only in Japan, um, phenomenon, these places to sit and listen to records. It, it doesn't exist anywhere else. You know, you go in and order your coffee, your, your beer and sit for a couple hours and the guys have thousands of records. So I wanted to document this because um, I think people overseas didn't know that it existed. People, jazz fans outside Japan know about the love of jazz here because of all the recordings, you know, all the live in Tokyo and live in Japan albums. But they didn't necessarily know about this uh, culture of of going to a cafe to listen. So that was sort of how the, the site started. And um, no, I mean, there, there's there's not there's not really um, a similar. It's it, there's more a lot of blogs. There's a lot of Japanese blogs of guys who will write about you know a long diary entry, and those are really cool and they've been really helpful to me to introduce me to places that you know I didn't know about. Um, but you know, unless you read the language, it's not going to help a non-Japanese person. So that was the goal of my site, basically to make like this informative sort of database site. And, you know, it's, it's good. I mean, I've listed 140 places now. Um, and, um, the, at the time there, well, and even today, I mean, there was, there were really only three sites in English about jazz in Japan. And I know the other guys, they're both friends of mine, actually, we met because of that. But what was really cool was that they were doing something different. Um, uh, my very good friend, Sean Smith, um, who's not in Japan anymore, but he had a site called Tokyo Jazz Notes where he would review albums. So his was more about reviewing all the new and classic jazz albums that would come out. So it was a great resource because, you know, people, a lot of times overseas, people didn't get access to those. It wasn't so easy in those days. Now, you know, there was no streaming then. Um, and then a guy um, named Mike, Mike Pronko, who's, a, who's an author and a, uh, an academic, he has a site, Jazz, uh, I think it's called Jazz in Japan, and, and his was more of a sort of uh, sociological look at why jazz was so popular. So he had articles and essays and interviews, you know. Um, and so the three sites actually balanced each other out pretty well. I had all the places, uh, Sean had all the releases, and Mike had sort of more, you know, analytical things looking at it and essays and whatnot um other than that there was nothing 
And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, you've been here for more than 10 years. So, you know, there are people who document every little bit of minutiae in Japan. You know, I mean, there's the guy that does the castles and, the, you know, the, the ramen blogs and stuff. But nobody was doing this amazing jazz culture. So I was pretty excited and happy that I could get this sort of niche for myself, you know. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people really appreciate that uh, you did kind of take that upon yourself to kind of uh, document that and yeah yeah it's been good I mean I've got I've got um, I made a lot of friends from overseas you know people who've come by and you know they who've used the site to go here and there to to go to the less famous places and and that's been awesome yeah for sure for sure um I guess the second part like have have you um encountered a site like this you know maybe documenting other cities around the world yeah, yeah, the, different formats, uh, in different formats, but um, you do have people, you know, uh, doing similar things to sort of, you know, um, a space to sort of bring the community together. Yeah, yeah, you've seen, I've seen that even in some places you wouldn't expect. And obviously, like cities that love uh, or are famous uh, for being jazz towns, you know, maybe in Europe, in you know, Copenhagen or Paris or whatever. Um, but even in, I mean, I went to, uh, I went to Vietnam. And uh, so I was looking around. Anytime I go anywhere, I'm like, okay, wh- where's the local jazz club? Because there's always one, at least one, you know. And I found this uh, this site, and it's run by a, a lady, and she um, she's from Hanoi, and she's just a, a, a big jazz fan. So she sort of made a little community space for people to sort of you know share information about what's going on. And the par- you know, surprisingly, there's about four or five venues, you know. A couple bars and a couple live. I went to the most famous live club in Hanoi, run by a Vietnamese sax player. I can't remember the name at the moment, and it was it was awesome. It was great. It was great, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think that it, it's a music that yeah, pretty much everywhere you're gonna find at least one club, and sometimes you know you'll find a scene, you know, where you least expect it. So yeah, there 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 are a couple things out there, but not not necessarily maybe as uh, as as maniacal as my, as mine is, you know. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, I think, like you mentioned, um, you know, maybe there's like uh, Reddit, subreddits, or like, you know, forums or things like that. But in terms of, yeah, the organization of your site, mm, mm. It, it might kind of stand alone in that respect. Um, so you have done, you know, a lot of creative work and projects, you know, throughout the years. Mm. And whether it be, you know, your radio shows, your DJing live. Uh, writing articles, podcasts, whatnot. Do you have a certain like form of expression that you prefer, or that you kind of, uh, you know, gravitate towards more than another, or you kind of like it all? It's interesting. I, I think um, it's, it's probably podcasting because, uh, as as some good friends have uh, teased me wittily about, like, oh, James, you finally found the perfect format for you to ramble on and on and on about music <laughs> where the, where nobody can stop you, <laughs> you know? So, um, I think that's probably, it's probably the, I mean, I have to, I have to, I have to force myself not to keep talking, uh, when I record my podcast, cause I could really just go on and on about a lot of the music that I love. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say it's that because I mean, it's pretty much, you know, once you get the hang of it and it took me a while, you know, it's not, it's not easy to do. It took me a while to sort of figure out what the best format would be because a podcast is different to a radio show. Like if you're on the radio, if you're doing like live radio or even recorded program, um, 
that's a different sort of structure and podcasting is pretty new when I, you know, when I first started thinking about it. And uh, so I listened to a lot of different ones and I sort of took what parts that I liked and what parts I didn't like and, and, and tried to find my voice. And it took a while. Like I think the first 30 or 40 episodes I did weren't very good. Um, the presentation was poor. I wasn't being myself. Um, I had technical issues, <laughs> you know, there was, it takes a while to sort those things out. Cause you're doing this when you're doing this on your own, it's, you know, there's nobody really helping. I had to learn how to just do regular audio editing and stuff. Um, and then after a while I sort of figured it out and, and now I've got the format down and, and I've got, okay, this is how much, if, if I have a one hour show, I shouldn't be talking more than 12 to 15 minutes. Any more than that is too much. Um, that's that's pretty important because it's a music show you know like you don't you don't want to overload your listeners with too much information you want to give them a little bit so they know what you're listening to know what to go look up but you don't want to be sitting there reading out a list of album credits or the history of this guy or this band you know um that's 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 not gonna that's not an easy listen when you do that you know so uh, I figured out the format of what worked best, and and now it's it's going pretty well. I mean, I'm up to I'm just prepping this week actually episode 126, um, and the listeners kind of plateaued out a little bit, but I've got listeners that are really um, loyal and, and committed, and, and they they get in touch with me, and and uh, I've got listeners around the world now. I mean, it's great, man. You, you put this stuff online, it's unbelievable. So the reach is just great if you just keep doing it. And you keep promoting it, um, you're going to get people and that are going to respect uh, the effort and, and what you're introducing, you know. Um, but that took, I mean, I'm in, this is the seventh year now. So it took, I say, I would say it took three years really to build an audience. So there were times when I was thinking like, what am I, well, I'm just like shouting into the, you know, into the air. This is, what am I doing, you know? I don't need to be, I could do this in my house by myself and just listen, you know, but um Eventually, people started getting in touch, and that was really cool. And then the really the coolest thing was when labels got in touch, you know. So you'd play something of sometimes musicians that I knew, you know, would feature them. And then that network started to grow. Uh, so now I get, I, I get, I don't have to search for music anymore. People are sending me music, which is, which is a nice problem. I get to sit too much. I don't have time to listen to all of it. But that's an awesome problem. So it makes all the work worth it. Right. Okay. Well, I guess I got about three or four years to go before we make this one decent. But <laughs> yeah. I'll follow your advice on that and just, you know, keep at it. Um, I wanted to ask you, so, you know, this past year or so um, has, has been tough for a lot of people, regardless of, you know, what industry you're in and whatnot, mm. um, especially, you know, maybe the jazz cafes or, you know, live music, live jazz. Um, so for yourself, how, how have you found it? How have you found kind of the state of jazz maybe in Japan or the world? And, um, you know, what, what have you kind of done to kind of, uh, you know, battle through or kind of find opportunity during a time that, you know, many people just kind of have struggled? Yeah, well, I mean, it's tough. I, I mean, I'm, I'm much luckier than others because I'm not a professional musician. Um, you know, so I wasn't relying on, on live gigs, uh, f to make a living. I make some money 
DJing now and then, but that wasn't my main source. So I, I was okay financially, um, but uh, it certainly was a big transition, you know, um, uh, mentally to go from, you know, I would be going to about one gig or sometimes two gigs a week. My, my, I have kids and they're a little older now, so I don't have to be, you know, rushing home like in the, in the past. So I had more freedom to go, to go out to, to music events and to have all of that taken away was tough. Um, especially in the summer. Cause you know, summer to me, summer in Tokyo means music festivals. Cause there's just every weekend there's multiple. So I was always running around here and there, uh, to even into the countryside, having that taken away was real tough. Um, but you know, then the other opportunities, uh, sort of presented themselves. Um, one of the projects that I'd been working on that came out of my website was um, a, a good friend of mine who's a photographer, uh, who's also was also a Japan resident for 20 years. He's now going back to Ireland. Um, my very good buddy Philip, he contacted me and said, "Listen, let's make a let's make a photo project of all these old Japanese jazz cafes." That project is called Tokyo Jazz Joints, and so we spent five years wandering around the Tokyo metro area taking pictures and eventually around the whole country um and we had some photo exhibitions got some good press planning to do a photo book um so when the pandemic hit Philip had been in Ireland and was planning to come back we were going to go around the country to places we had not been yet you know because we we there was some you know there's still another 100 places to to visit we've been to over 150 to take pictures uh of course then traveling was uh, you know, not an option. Um, we were stuck at home, so we decided, well, let's. Why don't we record an episode of a pod? Let's just record something to talk about our adventure. We plan to do one episode, and now we've done forty-five. <laughs> so now that's really geeking out, man. I mean, I, you got to be really into Japanese jazz cafes to listen to the two of us. But amazingly, um, we built an audience. You know, we recorded, uh, yeah, I think we recorded 45 episodes, basically telling our whole adventure, going around the country to these places. And, and that's been, um, that turned into something really fun and exciting. So, you know, that was a, a way, like, we were recording every almost every Friday night yep. for almost a year. And that was like a great replacement for, oh, normally I'd be in a jazz bar on a Friday night on my way home. And instead of that, um, I'm rushing, or I'm in my house, I just come to my desk, pour a drink, and, and then we would prep the show, and then we would record it. Um, so that, that personally for me, that was something that worked out well. Um, and I also started a new, uh, a new project, uh, sort of an online music channel. So a very good friend of mine, um, DJ Otsuka, who's a professional DJ, obviously could not work during the pandemic. And still, events are restricted here in Japan, right? So uh, we were talking about some ideas, and we decided to make a new uh, sort of online radio channel, getting selectors and DJs to give us mixes and programs because uh, we have a big network around the world. And uh, that's been really fun, and we, we just put up our 71st uh, program, um, and uh, we made a new website, so please check that out. Uh, it's called KOL Radio, so it's kol-radio.com, and we've got mixes from selectors all around the world, um, all kinds of genres. And that's been a great, fun project to do. Uh, because, you know, a lot of people are in the same boat, right? They're, they're stuck at home. And so they're like, oh, yeah, I'd love to, like, dig in my collection and share it with a Japanese audience, you know? Um, so, you know, that's been one thing. Um, now, you know, I've talked with a lot of musicians, you know, in terms of support and, and 
things to, to help out. It's been tough. You know, there's been a lot of people doing GoFundMe programs. And, you know, I've donated to a, a, quite a few clubs uh, when they've been, they made some new t-shirts or this or that, you know. Um, but but it has been it has been very tough for people in, in the industry. There's no doubt about it. For sure. Yeah, I think um, what you said is really important, you know, for whoever, you know, musicians or artistic people or, you know, regardless, just to, you know, don't just bemoan your fate and, you know, oh, it's bad luck, you know, find a way to kind of keep going or keep creating, keep doing something. Mm. And, um, yeah, I've listened to both of both of your uh, the jazz joints podcast, like you say, uh, if you're into, you know, the jazz cafes, then those podcasts really give you super in-depth and yeah i like listening to those stories if, oh, thanks. if people if people are into it definitely this gives you a lot deeper like you say maybe for the geeks of the <laughs> we you know james it's been amazing because so we you know so philip and i like i said we spent five years right okay going around the country and telling the stories we were like okay if we get a hundred to two hundred people listening We'll be we'll be thrilled. Uh, we, we've gotten three thousand people listening around the world, and, and we're like, man, either people are really bored, okay, to hear two old dudes just talk about <laughs> every week talk about a different jazz cafe, um, or it's been really inspiring because you realize that wow, there are a lot of people out there who share a, a passion for the music, a, a passion for Japan, or even just a passion for like exploration you know about like wandering around and doing some exploring so you got like different angles that you could appreciate our our banter <laughs> you know and that's been and and that was really yeah it was a real shock i mean we could when we saw some of the numbers coming we were like wait seriously like man are people just like completely out of podcasts to listen to because this is a pretty pretty you know yeah it's pretty niche stuff um but that was probably wrong. It's not that niche because, you know, like I said, it could be people are interested in Japan and only peripherally into jazz. So they like the stories of us going to different parts of the country. Um, then you have the people who have never been to Japan but are real music heads, you know. Um, and then you have the people who are like into photography because, you know, Philip will talk about like what it what it means to go into a room with no preparation, with no idea of the lighting or the arrangement. And you've got maybe seven minutes to get the pictures you want to get and you can't ask them to move stuff around you know so there's that challenge as well um so there were a lot of different angles about the podcast and and that that was i think something that maybe we didn't expect that people would be digging you know right right for sure um yeah you mentioned you know what you're doing uh i know I know for myself, since basically since um, last year's International Jazz Day, uh, 2020s, uh, when they, they did a good chunk of that online, um, mm. is when I kind of started noticed, noticing more uh, artists doing streaming and kind of taking advantage of, you know, everyone being at home. And uh, one of my favorites has been, um, I'm not sure if you know him well, is Emmett Cohen, the New York-based pianist uh he started doing a weekly show basically from his house in brooklyn i believe and um he knows you know a lot of people in the industry he gets guests to come in and he started this weekly like jam session you know live at owen's place 
and you know, I've been super into that. Have Have you noticed any other musicians who've kind of taken it upon themselves to do more streaming or connect more with their uh, with their audience or their listeners? Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, 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 tons, you know, tons. Yeah. Because, like you said, you know, there was the creative outlet that they were missing. Then there was the financial side, you know. So there's been a lot of people using uh, Patreon. Um, you know, and I've, I've supported a couple people on there and, uh, that's really a good way for them to connect with the fans because they can do some live stuff where you can interact with them. You get sort of, uh, bonus tracks sent. Um, yeah, I, I'm not familiar with Emmett in New York, but there's several people in New York. I was, uh, I, I played a track on one of my podcast episodes from Brandy Younger, who's a, a harpist. Um, and she and her partner, uh, who's a bass player, I, I can't remember his name now, I apologize, but they, they, they were recording in their apartment in New York. He was on bass, she was on harp. They're sort of you know, jazz musicians, I guess, and they would do similar weekly, like Friday night or Saturday night session online, and they would take requests, they would improvise, they would play some of their own compositions. Um, there's a lot of musicians doing that, and a lot of clubs as well. Um, I was in touch with the Village Vanguard, which is the you know the holy temple of jazz live spots, and I was asking them about. So they they started because they they were really in a tough spot. You know, they had to let go a lot of staff. Um, financially, it was really really difficult, and so they started doing Friday and Saturday night live streaming. It was pretty cheap too. I think it was about ten bucks. Um, and they were getting really, you know, big acts to come. I mean, now everybody's had to take a major, major pay cut. So it's been really, really tough. Um, the one down, I wouldn't say it's the downside, but it's just that there might, a lot of people have said there's, you know, online or streaming fatigue because it's, it's and and I know, I mean, I, I do a lot of activity, so I probably get more invitations than the average person. But, I mean, I'm getting 50 to 60 mails every weekend like check out my live thing today. right you know right I just, right right i mean there's just no, no chance no time and yeah at some point you can't even choose like, well which one you know yeah. what i mean like yeah so there's there's been a little bit of streaming fatigue sure. um and that's unfortunate because it doesn't look like uh, at least on this side of the world you know we're still stuck in yeah uh, in this situation it looks like live music's coming back now in new york which is great and in other parts of the u.s i don't mm -hmm. know about europe at the mm -hmm. moment but right right um, so just, you know, you mentioned probably not here uh, quite yet, but hopefully, hopefully later this year, you know, some of the live stuff may be slowly coming back. I noticed there's some festivals scheduled for the summer. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's going to be restrictions and whatnot, um, you know, and maybe we'll see. I, I think some of the bigger jazz clubs in Tokyo have kind of uh, tried to keep running with you know, more restrictions on them. Mm. Um, in terms of, you know, maybe someone who's trying to get into the jazz scene here in Japan or like, you know, a foreigner in the future looking to visit, uh, would you kind of have some advice on kind of how to, you know, contact people or how to kind of get involved? Or do you, do you think it's kind of accessible to outsiders or do you kind of have to uh, mm. slowly? Well what's accessible to outsiders in Japan, you know, right. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I always tell, and this is, this is, uh, this is not, uh, including any pandemic type stuff, just, just right. generally speaking. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's, it's a music loving country. It's a jazz loving country. 
um, Japanese audiences are amazing. They love you. They are so loyal, among the most loyal in the world. Uh, I know musicians who've been coming here for 30, 40 years, and they get the same faces, you know, in the audience, um, bringing them presents, you know. <laughs> you know, so if you if you can establish that, you know, you've got something. The, the, but the establishing part is tough uh, l- language um, and not just language, culture. Um, you, you know that in Japan, um, face to face meetings are very important for business, any type of business. Um, we're American, North Americans. <laughs> we we do things a little a little differently, kind of straight to the point. You know, I don't know. Maybe in Canada, it's a little, <laughs> a little less than New York, but, um, but but I've had musicians tell me, you know, like, oh well, why can't I just, you know, send them a mail? I was like, okay, first of all, if you send it mail in English, dang, we're going to read it. Okay, if you send it in Japanese, but immediately start talking about when can I come for a gig and negotiating fees, it's just not the Japanese business manner, you know. So you want to take things a little bit more locally. So you need someone to help you. So what I always tell people is this. Um, if you're if you're a solo act, it's easier. Just come by yourself, make some connections, go to the clubs, start hanging out with musicians. They know how to do that, you know. But if you if you want to bring a group over, I always say to people, look, you, you got to invest a little money first. So come over on your own, bring your work, bring bring copy. Japanese club owners want a hard copy. They do not want digital files. You know, they want a, they want a CD or a record, right? Come and distribute your music. Tell them how much you love the club. Um, you probably have some connections with local musicians as well that you could, you know, you could use. And do that face-to-face thing. Invest a couple thousand dollars on a trip to Japan. Maybe sit in on a few gigs, you know. Um, and then you will be able to, uh, there will be at least a couple of clubs that, that will be interested. And, and I know some club owners here that, you know, they really love to have foreign acts come. You know, for the, cause the audience really digs it. So if you do that, and you do that with the understanding that you, you might just break even the first trip. You know, so don't don't come expecting the big payday on the first one. But if you build that, if you build that audience, and get outside Tokyo, that's what I tell people to definitely get outside Tokyo, get to Sapporo, get to Fukuoka, and then the next time you come, you you'll have a Japan trip. You could you could play. I know people who've come for a month, six weeks. You know, played all around Japan. Now, when they went back home, they might have just made a small amount of profit. But they've spent six weeks in Japan gigging, you know, and they didn't, they didn't lose money. They made a little money. Um, so, you know, it all depends on basically like how how much time, you know, you can put into that initial effort. Um, I, I'm not a promoter. I tried it. It's really difficult. It's <laughs> not my skill set. Um, but I, I always, when people mail me and I would say half the mails I get from my website are from musicians or they were pre COVID. Oh, really? Okay. Um, you know, how, oh, how can I, you know, I want to play or, you know, I I played once in somebody else's group, but how can I bring my own, you know, group? And it's like, well, I'm happy to introduce you to a few club owners. I'll even give you a draft in Japanese and just put your name in there. You know what I mean? But I'm not going to write it for you fully every time, but, but I, I would give them a little advice and I'd say like, this is what I think you should do. And, uh, you know, I, I always say, just come, just come over, just get the cheapest flight. If you can't afford it, come over, do that face to face thing. Cause it's so important in Japan and you might get some good results that way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's some great advice. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, in terms of yourself, you've been to 
you know, surely thousands, you know, of live shows, concerts, you know, you've met and interviewed, you know, maybe hundreds of jazz performers, both Japanese and foreign. Um, can you think of some moments, you know, in terms of all of that? I'm sure it's pretty difficult that maybe stick out for you um, in all these shows and interviews and meetings. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe have you had a few like surreal moments where you kind of think, you know, what am I doing or who, you know, I'm sitting next to <laughs> one of my heroes here or. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, surreal moments. I mean, when I was. Uh, well, OK, there's a there's a world music festival that I'm a regular attendee of. It's in Toyama. So it's on the other side of the country in the countryside. It's called Sukiyaki Meets the World. It's uh, Japan's really only big world music festival. So about five or six years ago, I was so excited because a great group from Congo, and I'm a big fan of music from Congo, Congolese music um, from Africa, they, they came over, called Jupiter and Oquest International. And they're actually more of a, an African rock band, basically using local rhythms, but they're heavy, man. So they put on an incredible set. And one of the cool things about this festival is there's no there's no uh, there's no velvet rope between the musicians and the, and the, the fans. The musicians after they're hanging out, right? So it's sweltering in the summertime. You know, it's probably around midnight, and I find myself in the plaza. It's packed with people. Everybody's drinking, and uh, I'm talking with uh, with Jupiter, the band leader, and uh, and you know we're pretty drunk, you know, and we're talking. 15 20 minutes and i suddenly it might have been the heat and the booze but i suddenly realized that he's talking to me in french the whole time and i don't speak french and i'm speaking to him in, in english in drunken english i don't think he understands me but we're just hanging you know yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. a good 20 minutes or so until i, I right. finally kicks in i'm like what are we even i don't even know what we're talking about so one of his band members had come over and he actually spoke english and so i was like can you tell me what he's saying, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but, but that was just really cool because it was one of those moments where you just feel like, you know, the band or they just came off the stage, but they're hanging out talking with the Japanese fans and nobody's having a hassle. And it was one of those, it, it's, that's why it's one of my favorite festivals because you can interact with the, with the groups, you know? Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, being a bit more, uh, kind of like, speechless i guess it was um well i got to interview jack dejanet the great drummer uh he was here with his uh, with his group and um you know what do you say when you go in to meet somebody like jack dejanet who's had such a legendary career and you know he's played with you know he was 25 years old playing with miles and so but i walk in the room is that the blue note so you walk into the into the green room in the back, and uh, the Japanese staff say to oh, Mr. Dijanette, uh, there's a, uh, a, a man here to interview. And I hear Jack say, like, what, another one? And all I could think was, like, oh, no. <laughs> like, has he been doing interviews all day, <laughs> you know? And he's older, you know? He's probably a little tired. And so I come in the room, and he sees me, and he, and he goes, oh, you speak English? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, okay. And so I sit down and I was like, did you, oh, they didn't tell you I was coming. He's like, no, I've been doing interviews with Japanese radio and magazines all day. And it's a little tiring because it takes so long for the translations, you know. And I was like, oh, well, no need for that, you know. So immediately I was I was more comfortable. 
Um, so you know, he gave me you know he gave me fifteen minutes, which was which was very kind because yeah. just before the gig. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then I finally said you know I said um, I said Jack, look, I'm sorry, but I've just got to ask like, can I ask a Miles story? <laughs> and you know, people people get different views when you do that who played with miles davis but you know he smiled and he was like oh it's it's fine there's always a miles question <laughs> you know um i don't even remember what i asked him now it might have been something about like oh when you played that gig in the isle of white festival some whatever you know it was a real fanboy question you know but he was um he was really kind and uh you know and and he answered my question and i said okay great and go to the gig and we went to the gig and um you know the blue note you've been there the blue sure. note is, is is what it is it's 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 a beautiful club it's got great sound but it's very corporate it's right. for a certain type of audience um but jack comes in with his quintet and they're not messing around man they they started with a 20 minute long partially improvised you know tune no standards you know i, I mean it was fantastic it was so much better than i, I expected they would just might run through a couple you know jazz standards for the audience but they were they were not playing that night um and that was that was i mean that was an unbelievable gig and so you know i was thinking to myself i'm like damn you know i'm really lucky because i got a chance to meet him and have a chat and then come see the gig you know um that's pretty much when i thought okay i've i'm happy with what i've done now this is i don't need to take it further you know like if i can do this um that will be enough you know because like i said i, I don't do this professionally right i get paid for articles that i write um or some programs that i do sure uh I work with you know sometimes i work with journalists or tv crews or shooting different things in the music scene so i do make some income but it's not enough as a full-time thing sure um and that's frustrating but it's also liberating because I don't have to take a job that I don't want to. I don't have to worry every month about oh I gotta get more gigs. I gotta get more writing gigs. I gotta get more this or that. That's that's get gives me a sense of freedom that it still makes it very fun. Um, and, and you know if there's times when I just want to take a couple weeks off, you know, or like oh you know the, the basketball playoffs are on. <laughs> I want to watch some lot of the games every day. You know what I mean? I can take that time off and then I'm allowed to do that because I don't have to answer to anyone. Um, so, uh, but, but that's, that's a, that's not for everybody. Cause there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of people who do this stuff sure. full time sure. and they got to keep plugging out there. And sometimes yep. their energy is just not into it. You know, so right. luckily I'm not, I'm not at that state. Right. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I know like, at least from the outside, you always seem, you know, super busy doing uh, various projects. You, you talked about uh, KOL, KOL Radio and, uh, you know, last year with, with your uh, mate, Philip, you guys did the Tokyo Jazz Joints uh, podcasts and, you know, that project. Uh, I was wondering, you know, if you, had, uh, if you had a huge budget or you could put together a team. Do you have something like some dream project in the back of your mind where you're always thinking, you know, maybe like some documentary film or maybe um, is there something that, uh, you know, what would you do as kind of a dream sort of project? That's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of things, man. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things. I, I think uh, I've always wanted to, um, so, you know, I mentioned the, the Sukiyaki World Music Festival, Sukiyaki Meets the World Festival. Um, and they do a great job 
and uh, it's a weekend in Toyama, and then they do a couple gigs in Tokyo midweek. Uh, they used to to WWW Club in Shibuya, but um, Japan uh, Japan is saturated with jazz. But for whatever it's complicated reasons, but they don't have a major world music festival. Um, I mean, on the on the on the you know level of something like WOMAD, which is various countries, there are a few boring reasons of why that that failed here. But what I would love to do would be to put together a major world music festival um, to find the backing and. Um, you know, because because of my podcast, is I feature a lot of. I mean, I'm I'm playing music from all uh, every continent these days. So I've got, I know labels in Brazil, I know labels in Poland, I've got music from Indonesia, so I have a lot of connections now with great great musicians. It would be amazing to curate and to promote and to put on a festival that could bring some of these people here, because I've noticed that with the Japanese audience, you know, um, Japanese audiences can be a little fragmented. Right, so if you're really into one genre of music, you're an expert, but you might not listen to music next door, um, and that's one thing that sort of limited the broader world music festivals. But I would love to do that where I could put together a lineup over a weekend of something like that, like ten, twelve acts from you know around the world. That would be, um, I mean, that, that takes a lot of work. You got to get the corporate sponsors, and, you know, visas, and now with. With the pandemic, I mean, this is borderline impossible. But but down the line, I'd like to do that. Um, and the radio project I'm working on, you know, the music site. We uh, so I think we I just confirmed today we're going to get um, a program, a mix sent in from a DJ in Brazil, and that'll be our 14th country. So um, on a smaller scale, when 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 we can do this, I want to have a a really uh, big. Um, DJ night with the people who've contributed so far and sort of you know launched the website like that and um, you know because we have we've had music from you know a, a friend of mine uh, Ian Martin who, who runs like an indie sort of Japanese indie punk ambient label here you know um, which is not music I normally listen to very much you know but it would be great to have a, a, an event where all these people could come together um, I'll play my usual Congolese Roomba um, DJ Otsuka my partner on the site you know she's a rare groove DJ so she's got a lot of great amazing albums and so we could all you know have nine or ten DJs over the course of a whole day uh, as soon as we get our vaccine shots and we can get outside we'll do we'll do a mini event like that so I would say those are the two things I'm thinking about one very very big that may never happen and one that certainly is going to happen yeah well I mean both those sound like uh, amazing events for the people, uh, you know, listening in, you know, keep following on those. Um, so you mentioned, you've mentioned some of your projects and some of your work has kind of taken you a bit of time to kind of mature into or kind of realize um, what works and what doesn't. Uh, I was wondering, you know, if you were to say, give yourself or someone else, you know, or if you think to yourself from maybe like, you know, five or even 10 years ago, um, is there some advice or you had some failures in the past that you've been able to learn from? Um, what kind of advice would you maybe give to yourself, you know, from 10 years ago, say? Mm, mm. That's, that's a good one. Um, I, I would say probably um, time management is, is very hard to, to learn. 
Um, I spent my 20s just being appalling in time management. I mean, just, you know, new in Japan, you could imagine the lifestyle that that was going on, traveling and just, and I mean, it was great, but I I had, I didn't learn uh, how to really be disciplined, you know, Um, and I would say, I wouldn't say 10 years ago. I'd go a bit farther back than that because I'm old now. But um, I would say go back 15 to 20 years to my late 20s. And I would say like, okay, it, it's not that hard to set aside an hour a day. It sounds like, you know, oh, I'm so busy. Where am I going to? No, you're not that busy. People are not that. You see how many people tweet about watching television shows over a week and binge watching. You realize you're not that busy. So set aside an hour a day. To, to work on something that you want to to accomplish whether it's something creative whether it's studying a language um, learning to cook um, just you know playing basketball whatever it is set aside that time get away from the computer and TV but but make it a systematic thing that's what I that's what I tell anybody that asks me that that's what I tell them because I was so garbage at doing that. And, and, and eventually, it was actually having kids that helped me do that. You know, you got a couple kids, right? So, you know, when you get that free time, man, that's like a, that is like gold, right? <laughs> you got, oh my God, they're both napping for like 90 minutes. Now, I could either use that time to nap myself, and sometimes you do that, right? Or I could have a quiet beer, <laughs> Uh, I can watch the movie I've been waiting for or whatever it is. That time is precious. Don't waste it. Um, and it actually that helped a lot because it was kind of like I can't find any other time now. This is the only time I have when they go to bed at night or when they're napping in the afternoon. And so that was actually how I started my website. I remember in 2007 and early 2008, uh, my son was born. And, you know, I would be holding him. And he would just curl up asleep and be like, okay, I can't move, right? Well, I could start typing up some blog entries. So I have stacks of notes from all the jazz joints I've been to over the years. And it was like, okay, let me let me write a, a profile of one of them today, you know? And, I, and that's how that started. And I started finding that this was really good time to do that. And so, um, yeah, it, but I mean, I was already in my late to mid thirties when that started, you know, so I was late to learn it, but, but that's, a, that's been a really good lesson. And now it's, it's been a lot easier, you know, it's just like, oh, okay. It's, um, it's nine o'clock PM. So, okay. From nine to 10, I'm going to work on this uh, CD review, or I'm going to work on a podcast or whatever. That's my set time of the day to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for myself too. I really like that advice. And, you know, for anyone listening in, you know, maybe uh, when you are in your 20s, you know, you don't have a family, you don't necessarily think about things like this. But yeah, like you mentioned, kind of after you have kids, it kind of puts time into more of a perspective. So if you can start something like this, when you're younger, I think it's a good habit to get into. Um, Something I've started doing more recently, you know, is blocking out time, like you said, too. And, you know, don't necessarily have a to-do list where you have to finish something, but at least block that time out where you're saying, okay, for this 30 minutes or this one hour, all I'm going to do is work on this one task. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the amount of time that a lot of people waste is incredible if you think about it. 
really just if you want to do something, you know, maybe wake up earlier, you know, get up at 530 if you want to go out for a jog or, you know, don't stare at your smartphone scrolling through social media, you know, for 20 minutes. Mm. And then, you know, um, I think people waste a lot of time really without realizing it. Mm. And, you know, it all adds up, really. And if you aren't kind of oh, do yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, had to, I had to force myself back when I used to commute um, uh, to work. You know, I had to force myself uh, to quit uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm a big Twitter guy. I love Twitter. But I realized it was not, um, it's not, it's obviously not productive for the most part. Um, and it was actually having a bad effect on my mood in the morning. You know, and so I decided that, okay, I'm going to make a rule. When I'm on a train, I do not look at anything. Now, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to a podcast or uh, I was actually really digging these sort of BBC historical podcasts, you know. So it was a little bit educational, finally, uh, something productive. And, and that actually really helped because I noticed that, okay, uh, I'm engaging my brain on this 45-minute commute. And um, and then I would I would get out a station early or two stations early if the weather's good and I would walk and I mean yeah just simple stuff like that you you, you know it's shocking how much that helps you know I mean just just an extra ten minutes walking gets your body moving and your brain a little more settled and uh, yeah you know there's a lot of little things that you can do and look I mean I'm sure we both know people that um, have had a hard time during the the pandemic I'm I'm I consider myself very lucky I'm not beyond the, the the general sense of unease about covid i've not uh had a lot of struggles that that some people have had um partially because i've been occupied with either doing projects or with my kids and you know I've had things to distract me um but definitely you know also i would tell people like you like you just said don't put too much pressure on yourself like if you need to take a day take a day you know you need to take an hour just to be alone um, you know, as a music head, like for me, my therapy is to just put my headphones on downstairs and put on a record. And and my kids know, like, oh, daddy's got his headphones on. No, you know, it's like, nah, you see that? Don't don't come and talk to me about anything stupid. If there's no blood or broken bones, I don't want to hear it. You know, that's the rule, basically. Anything else, we'll talk about it later. Um, but yeah, you need that time. You know, you need that time. Um, but yeah, I think I think for me, like that time plus like the projects, actually, I find the projects themselves to be really helpful. Um, I think if I was just sitting at home and everything was just one way of consuming information, um, that's I found that very destructive for myself, you know, for my mood, uh, for, for my sanity. So um, being more uh, engaged in doing work was helpful for me. You know, it's not going to be for everyone, but, you know, if you're, if you're looking to, and people who are listening to this podcast clearly are interested, if you're looking to do that kind of project or just getting started, um, you'll find that it is really, you know, that sense of like, I remember when I first learned finally how to adjust the sound levels. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a tech person at all, so I'm, I'm like way slow. Uh, but when I finally learned how to properly adjust sound levels um, using my mic and, and online um, editor, I, I was like, I was ready to do the Rocky thing, running down the street, man. You know, I was just like, woohoo, you know, because um, cause that is my weakness. I'm really poor with IT stuff, and, and I didn't want to keep asking people. So, you know, yeah. but, and finally that tiny little achievement made me so thrilled. So, you know, yeah, be, be kind to yourself and reward yourself for those things, you know. For sure. Yeah, great advice. Um, I, I think, too, like what, what you're doing and like you mentioned before, um, 
your kind of like purpose and your goal with some of this stuff isn't um, like isn't material or you're not just setting out oh I, I'm gonna make a bunch of money with this you know like it, in things I'm trying to do uh, more recently and I and I notice um, you know what you've been doing is overall it seems to be like helping people or connecting with people you know it's all kind of about like community and um, joy and you know connecting versus you know oh I want to build up my status or I want to you know make a ton of money off this it seems to be like um, if people have goals or they want to do things in their life if they go about it in the way that you've done some things I think like you say eventually you're going to find success yeah I I think that's a function of a couple things um one is age, though, because, you know, I started out doing this kind of thing uh, a bit older, you know, it's already in my 30s. It's different people who have grown up in the current environment, you know, where they see all of these people, um, you know, influencers and whatnot, making a career out of it. It's, it's just a different model. Um, so I didn't grow up with that. And also, um, you know, like I said, I mean, I have a, I have a regular job, um, which uh, allows me to have the, the, the freedom to not have to pursue that. That's not the case for everybody. Um, I think if you, if you are looking to make it your career, but it's important to balance out what your priorities are. Like we all have to make a living. So sometimes you're going to have to do a job that you're not interested in. You know, I know a guy who was sent off the cover of a day-long j-pop festival idol groups to, to cover it for a magazine and he was just like this was absolutely excruciating you know but i mean you he had to do it it was his job and 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 that allowed him to do the other interesting projects he wanted to do so but um yeah i i think you 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 really have to you really have to find that 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 balance and that's not easy it's, it's not easy to do i mean in terms of things like um, what the goal is, like, yeah, my, I mean, basically, honestly, James, I'm a pretty simple guy. I just want to listen to good tunes and drink beer. Like, you know, that's like, that's really all I want to do. You know what I mean? Um, and so if all of this were taken away suddenly, you know, I, I would, I would miss it. I, I would miss, you know, podcasting and I would miss the connections with music around the world and people that I've met. But I could still sit and listen to my tunes and drink beer by myself. Probably make it, um, but but yeah, there has been a lot of a lot of fun and joy because you know, um, I mean, it's just a really cool thing. Like it, it kind of you see, it kind of all comes together in my mind, right? It comes together. Like whether I was making the podcast or whether I was writing about jazz cafes, it's all the same feeling because to me. One reason I love the cafes is not just their environment, but it's the interaction with other customers. It's like right. we can all sit at home and listen now to any record we want, yeah. right? Even yeah. really rare stuff's online, you know? Yeah. And that's awesome, but it's it's a million times better when you can do it with like-minded people. Sure. That's a that's a human experience. It's a community feeling. Right. And, you know, in this age of people being consumed by online content, um, that community space and that feeling of of interaction is is even more important. So when I make my podcast as well, in my mind when I'm recording, I am talking to everybody that's listening. You know, 
um, I'm not just talking to myself. I'm in my head. I'm thinking about that. I saw that there's somebody in Cambodia that downloaded my podcast. There was one person from Gabon in West Africa. Shout out to whoever you are. <laughs> Thank you so much for downloading it. Uh, I'm talking to that guy or that woman, you know. And my numbers are small for my podcast. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty much maxed out at about 2,500 listeners. I can't get it higher. I, I don't know why. I'm trying, but it's. I was so happy to get there about a year ago, and it's not getting any higher. So I think I found every music geek that, that there is enough to listen to my show. But... I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to keep doing it because I'm talking to these people. And they get in touch with me sometimes. Um, that is so rewarding. You know, I mean, it, that plus the music that people send in is, is it, it's it's amazing. And it's, it's more important than the money, you know. I mean, I, I lose money doing the podcast overall. But, that you know, whatever. I mean, people spend that on one night out. You know, in Tokyo, you could <laughs> you could lose you could lose an ichiman real easy on some drinks, right? So um, that's not a problem. You know, the, the reward is more than worth it. For sure. Uh, well, yeah, I got to thank you. I got to thank you for doing this. Um, just got a couple a couple questions, a couple final questions sure. for you, my man. Um, sure. You know, as this thing is, this is called the Inspirations Pod. I've got two final questions mm -hmm. that uh, I'm planning to ask every guest. So uh, let's let's start with the first one here. So, what are uh, what are three things or three people, and you've kind of touched on it a little bit in our previous chat. Three three things or three people that have really inspired you in your work or continue to inspire you in your life. Three people. Three three things or three people three that in three people. inspire you or have really inspired you, you know, okay. maybe it's with your radio or your podcast. Right, or, right. Yeah. Um, okay. I'll, I'll, um, have to I'll dig deep for this one. Um, well, one uh, person sadly no longer with us, uh, was the, the author and artist, um, Donald Ritchie and, um, yeah, resident, foreign residents of Japan will know who he is, but maybe some listeners don't. Donald Ritchie was um, American. He first came to Japan in 1947. Uh, after the war, he was working for the government and pretty much stayed his entire life. A few points here and there where he returned to the U.S. Um, Donald was famous for writing about Japanese film and uh, introducing Japanese films, really, to the West with his books. But but he was much more than that. He was he was a much deeper writer. I guess you would call him a, a diarist, a travel writer. He even wrote novels, even made films. Um, and his work was really helpful and inspiring to me uh, because he helped me learn how to live in Japan. Um, Japan is not, uh, how can we say? Japan's not always the easiest place to live, <laughs> put it that way, uh, For especially for a Western person. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that are different and quite challenging. You have to come to terms with in whatever way you need to do personally. Some people can't do it. I mean, you know, you've met people who come. They've, they've had a great time for a year or two. And they'd be like, I got to get out of here. I can't. How could you live here forever? You know, and that's fine. That's fine. Uh, I can do it, but it's not easy. But Donald Ritchie's writing, uh, the way that he wrote about observation and learning and understanding different culture and specifically Japan, um, it was invaluable. So whenever I'm in a situation where I think to myself, 
what the hell does this mean? Or <laughs> I can't take this anymore, Aaron. But, you know, and there's a lot of that recently. Um, I think about, okay, what would what would Donald Ritchie think about this situation? How would he approach it to resolve his feelings of frustration? And sometimes you just can't do that. But it helps calm me and bring me more center to think about things the way, and, and take his approach, his intellectual approach. Um, so he was one. Connected to that is just Japan itself. Um, so I've, I first came here, um, uh, let's see, this November will be 24 years. Um, now I had a, a couple years break where I went away to grad school. Uh, so I guess in total I would have lived here 22 years. Um, still learning, you know. This, this Japan is an endlessly fascinating place. It's not always the most lovable place. You know, um, and that's another thing Donald Ritchie taught me. You know, so people asked him when he went back to the States, oh, you must love it so much there. And he's like, Japan's not very lovable, but it's very interesting. And I thought, God, yeah, that's, that's perfect. You know, sometimes it's not lovable at all, like anywhere. Um, but it's endlessly interesting. And, and look, this is where I've made my home. You know, I've, I've made my home, my career, my family. So I, um, I'm always inspired by by this place and trying to understand and learn more and and appreciate it more and not just you know whine about the bad things you know sometimes that's very hard to do but um i think when you get outside of tokyo and you remove yourself for a little bit you realize oh there's still a lot more to learn about differences so japan has definitely inspired me um and then and as a, as a parent you would you would know this yeah. uh, it's, it's it's kids having children um I, my kids pretty much daily make me reassess things. Yeah. You know, they're growing up. They are, they're different human beings <laughs> to me. They think differently. They feel differently. They react differently. And sometimes I can't understand them. Why do you do that? Why? Wait, you are not a carbon copy of me. <laughs> you know, I need to engage with you as a new individual, somebody who's developing intellectually and emotionally and and they challenge me now because they've gotten older like dad why do you say that why do you think this you know um you always say this but you do that that's hypocritical so whoa who told you he's a hypocritical <laughs> it's not very respectful to say to your father but like i'm impressed that you use the word correctly you know um so having kids is is a challenge and it's a great challenge it's tiring it's exhausting at times uh but it's it's uh for me it's been really helpful and so that keeps me going too you know keeps for me, sure keeps me working hard to be better so for sure so there's a couple of examples for sure yeah perfect yeah i think a lot of people can relate with uh can relate with all those answers actually people living in japan and um all the fathers out there can definitely mm. relate to your last one uh final question for you my man so what does it mean uh for you to maybe inspire others um maybe they're listening to one of your podcasts or uh seeing the work that you're doing with the site and you know it kind of inspires something in them what, what does it mean um for you to be an inspiration well I don't, I don't know if i'm an inspiration to anyone but uh i mean wow i mean if if i am um that would be uh amazing yeah because i, I think um you know, and, and again, this relates to uh, living 
overseas or, or living away from where you came from, very far in our cases, right? Um, I, I would think that um, even more than uh, even more than the content of what I've done with my website or my shows or whatever, um, I mean, I want people to like them. And I want people to be like, wow, this is an interesting part of Japan that you have documented and, and, and introduced us to. So that's great. What would be even better or more important for me, I think, would be um, that that I if I inspired someone to approach their life in Japan or, or whatever country they've settled in in a different way to say, OK, let's let's step back and observe the surroundings, not be judgmental and try to dive into it to learn it, to learn more. Like in my case, it's a very narrow thing, jazz culture, right? But but it can be anything, you know. Um, if, if, if what I've done there has in any way it's inspired someone to do the same in their field, uh, I would f- consider it a real success. I don't know if that's happened, but if it does, I'll be really thrilled. <laughs> great, great. Yeah, perfect. Uh James Ketchpole, Mr. OK Jazz, uh, I really, I really got to thank you for this, man. And uh, no, well, thanks for the invite. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. great. I hope I didn't talk too much. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, yeah, I got to say, I, I respect what you're doing for myself, for jazz, for music, uh, history, culture, fans, and I got to thank you firstly for the Tokyo Jazz site, uh, leading me, a lot of my friends, and you know, I'm sure hundreds or thousands of others to some of the best jazz spots around the country. Um, you know, that you've been able to maintain it, you know, for 14 years now, where a lot of other people have kind of, you know, given and given up on things like that. I got to thank you for your radio shows, uh, your DJ sets, you know, sharing, you know, tunes from around the world. Oh, well, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. It's, uh, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for the invite. And, uh, hopefully pretty soon before the summer's over, we can, uh, we can get together for a couple of cold special beers. I, I'm so looking forward to sitting outside again. It's been what a year and a half uh, to sit outside in a nice beer garden and just uh, and just get a little loopy. You know, <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, uh, where can the people you know keep up with you and follow what's going on? I know you mentioned uh, kol-radio.com. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a kol-radio.com. Um, it's uh, uh, you can see all the shows we have up there. Um, my podcast is there too. You can find me on, uh, I'm, I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram at Mark, Mr. Okay, jazz Tokyo. Um, and then the, uh, if you really want to dive deep into the jazz cafes, it's Tokyo jazz joints.com. You can see all the photographs that Philip took over 150 places around Japan and you can find our podcast there as well. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah. All right, perfect. Thanks again for doing this. and uh, No problem. Good luck with the podcast series, James, and we'll catch up soon, man. That was the one and only James Catchpole, Mr. OK Jazz. And this is James Malian, and you've been listening to ADSR Inspirations. If you want to hear more insightful and inspirational chats from people based in Japan and all over the world, make sure to follow us at ADSRcollective.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at ADSR Collective. Then listen to the pod on Spotify, Apple, Google, and more. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. Until next time, stay inspired.